holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory Glory to to you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise be, be to you, you Lord, Lord Christ. Christ. Please pray with me. Father, as you come to your word now, we do pray that you would take it in the very marrow of our bones, the very bottom of our souls, that we might be trained and changed by hearing your word. So the words of my mouth this morning, Father, I pray, and the meditation of all of our hearts may it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are a rock, and you are indeed our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's all just acknowledge what we are thinking. Yes. Today is indeed my birthday, so just to get that out of the way. No, I'm kidding. I know what you're all thinking. What is on Josh's face? I know. Tim, every time I've seen him this week, has been commenting on it. He's been calling me Magnum P.I. and, uh, you know, I don't know, sometimes Reno 911. And, you know, I get it. My daughter, actually, who's 11 years old, has never seen this part of my face in her entire life. So after I shaved, she wouldn't let me go near her or touch her or even look at her. And I get it. Is it a midlife crisis? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but of course, it's a hipster thing to do now. Grow a mustache again. 80s making a big comeback in dress and movies and TV. And my neighbor, when she saw this mustache, said, oh, you must have just seen Top Gun. <laughs> I was like, well, um, I will neither affirm or deny that. Um, But if there's anyone struggling right now with aging or seeming not to struggle, it's Tom Cruise, right? Uh, Aaron and I watched the last or the two Top Gun movies recently, and something struck me about them. In the first one, in the old one, in the original one, a young Maverick has to learn how to grow up. He's got to learn from Goose's death and keep flying, keep flying with instinct, but in the right and correct way without losing his wingman, right? And then he goes to learn how to do that, to speak to an old instructor with a mustache just like this one. And he says to him, this is how you do it. He gives him advice and direction. On the new Top Gun, Tom Cruise is now the old man, except, well, he isn't, 
right? He's still the one doing all the flying. He's still the only one who can fly the new mission. And his, his youthfulness sort of rejects the, all the other older heads, which are actually his peers, who are all running things now. And in fact, Goose's son, Rooster, has to save the old man, Maverick. And it was almost like a triumph of the old, still being relevant, still being meaningful. And I say that, even though I can't recall a movie I've watched in the last decade that I enjoyed as much as Top Gun Maverick. But it reminded me of this, something about our culture and our society. It's afraid to grow old. Aging in our society and our culture, it's, it's not something that you enter into gracefully and accept. It's a challenge that you have to fight. It's something that you have to overcome growing old. It's not the inevitable place that we all end up. We all seem to be trying to stay forever young, to quote another 80s vibe. Well, why? Why do we do that? And what do we, what do, we do about that impulse in our society? So to answer that this morning, three things. The fear, the transformation, and a holy responsibility. You know, Proverbs, unlike our society, indeed the entire Bible, doesn't fear aging at all. In fact, if you were listening to the Proverbs that Kim read for us, it fact celebrates aging. Gray hair is a crown of glory, it says in chapter 16. It's a picture of a life lived in righteousness. But it's deeper than just one quote here out of the book of Proverbs as some sort of proof text. It's actually assumed throughout the entire book of Proverbs, isn't it? The whole book is an older and aged person who has lived a long life passing on the way of life and the way of wisdom and the way of righteousness to a younger generation, to sons and to daughters. The Proverbs are not a book about how to remain relevant and young, but rather the opposite, how to gain an old life that is good and meaningful and weighty, how to come to the end to which each and every one of us are all headed and say, that was a life well lived. Chapter four begins like many of the chapters in Proverbs. Hear, O son, the younger one. Hear a father's or a mother's instruction. In fact, notice here in verse three, this father who is passing on these words of wisdom to his son, it's the father who has once received these words as a son in verse three, when he was young and tender with his mother. These words that they are giving are an inheritance from the past. This is the grandfather's teaching. That was his grandfather's teaching, that if being heard and learned by this young man or woman will bring life and wisdom and flourishing. In fact, throughout the Proverbs, it's the young who is often the simple, or often sometimes the fool, who is tempted, like here in chapter 23, 22 of Proverbs, to not listen to the words of the father who brought life, or despise the words of the mother when she is old. There's an Avet brother song called The Weight of Lies. And in the song, there's an older, wise man who speaks to the singer and tells him to be honest and be true instead of running around from town to town with lies that he wants to project about himself. And the singer in the song sings ironically, I'm not sure I bought those words. So when I was young, I knew most everything. That's the young and simple fool in Proverbs. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to listen to you. I just need to do me. I see to be me. That is the spirit of our age. That is forever young. Robert Harrison wrote a book not that long ago, 2014, called Juvenescence. And there's a quote from this book that sums up our modern society, and he says this. For the first time in human history, the young have become a, become a model for emulation for the older population rather than the other way around. 
Do you think Tom Cruise would agree with that? I think so. I wonder why it is. Why has this reversal happened in our particular culture? I mean, I think there's lots of reasons, and we can't get into them all. They're all different parts and pieces of a puzzle. One is that our culture prioritizes and celebrates authenticity. And when you're young, impulsivity is often mischaracterized or mistaken for authenticity. Our culture has also been radically changed by the sexual revolution. Now sexual desire is a marker of essential being and identity, and no one's sexual desire is more urgent and powerful than when you're young. And our technologies, of course, insulate us from the past, from our relational responsibilities to it. They disconnect us from the historic anchors that have always grounded our older and younger generations together. But more fundamentally, I think it's this, and maybe psychologically, as you get older, you can no longer ignore the one thing that our culture loves to ignore the most, death. You can't ignore it anymore. You can see it coming just over the hill. Our New Testament passage is from 2 Corinthians. When Paul wrote 2 Corinthians here, he was probably in his late 50s, and he's nearing the end of his ministry. In fact, he'd be martyred in about five or ten years from now. And he's, if you've read through the book of Acts and you know about Paul's ministry, you know that he had faced death many times. In fact, a couple of times he was unconscious and people assumed he was dead, only to um, uh, come back from that. And this age and strain of his ministry has obviously seemed to be taking a toll on him, particularly in this book. Listen to all the words he uses to describe his body metaphorically in this passage from 2 Corinthians. He says the outer self, his outer self, is wasting away. It's afflicted. He's groaning. He's burdened. This is all transient. It's about to be destroyed. It's like an insufficient tent, which is his body. And if you've ever been camping in the extreme heat or the extreme cold, you know that a tent does basically nothing to protect you from those elements. It's insufficient. Paul's growing old and his body is falling apart. He's become weak. He can no longer outrun his suffering. He's been having to carry the suffering of others. And just over the horizon, he can see and was even prophesied to him in Acts, his own death. But notice... His response to this is perhaps not what would be common in our culture, which would be depression or anxiety or a mad dash to get something to make ourselves look younger, like a mustache or something. Instead, (laughs) what he does here in verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Why? Because what he says in chapter five, Christ has secured for us an eternal home, a secure building, he says, being built by God himself in which we are being prepared for a building which is even so much more substantial than a tent. Christ has made a way, in other words, Paul is saying, through death into more life, in which we will be swallowed up, our mortality will be swallowed up in life, as he says in verse 4. You see, this is the Christian answer to death. Christ himself, the God of the universe, did not ignore it. He did not avoid it. He didn't even run from it. Instead, he entered into it. And in entering into it on the cross and dying, he then rose again. And those who are connected to Jesus by faith and through baptism, they also die through and in Jesus and rise again through and in Jesus. Ultimately, and even always on the path of following Jesus, so that we might be transformed again and again from death to life. Whereas Paul says here in verse 17, that we might all be transformed for the eternal weight of glory. What he's saying there, we are being transformed and prepared for the moment when the weight of standing in the presence and brilliance and goodness and holiness of God 
will not crush us and destroy us. But we can handle that weight because of the character of the life that has been built in us by the transformation of following Jesus. What Paul is speaking of here in 2 Corinthians comes with the wisdom of age. Well, the young, they're, they're strong and they're healthy. I mean, what does Proverbs 20, 29 here say? What is the glory of the young? The glory is in their strength, in their health. When you're young, you're concerned about transient things, about the present moment, because you seem to think that you have the whole world ahead of you. And in many ways you do. But as life goes along, your eventual death comes nearer and nearer. And if it's ignored, then you try to stay forever young. But if it's looked at, as Paul looks at it, it will crystallize for you what truly matters in this life. That for the Christian, because of Christ taking the curse and guilt of sin and death at the cross, death is not the final end, but the beginning of transforming us. As Paul talks about here in chapter 5, verse 4, transforming what is mortal and transient and temporal into what is eternal, immortal, and permanent. Now Paul here in 2 Corinthians is, of course, talking about the end of time. As we'll say here in a moment when Tim comes and leads us in the Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the dead. That's what Paul's talking about. But the end of the Christian life is only the end of the direction that we are heading all along as we follow along Christ and the path of the Christian life. Because the story of the Bible is a story of God transforming the world and transforming his people, individual by individual, from glory to glory, till the eternal abundant life promised in Christ that Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians is the only life that there is in which sin and death and brokenness and evil and deaths of every kind are gone and they no longer exist. But this way is always through the cross and never around it. And as Christ died and was resurrected, so we who follow him by faith must go the same way, dying to self, dying to sin, dying to our egos, to ourselves on the throne of our own lives. As Jesus says elsewhere in the gospel, to taking up our own crosses that look like his cross and being transformed in doing that day by day, step by step, until our own actual deaths, when we meet them, they are but another step toward Jesus Christ and the way of transformation. In this table before us right here, that we are going to participate in soon. I don't know if you've thought about the table this way, but it's a living sacramental picture of God's transformative work. That's one of the things going on at the table. Because just as the bread is broken, but that bread that is broken is now the substance of life for God's people. So when you come before this table and you offer yourself up to Christ, you are saying, I belong to the God of transformation. I belong to the way of transformation. And I trust in coming here and experiencing this communal experience with God, that God will do what he did in Christ, that he will pull me apart, that he will pull out the wrong, that he will pull out the dark, that he will pull out the messed up parts of our life and then resurrect you and bring you back together into life again and again in a more holy way. And as you follow Christ in this way, and as you get older, as you get as Proverbs talk about, a crown of glory of gray head around your hair, you learn again and again how to die, how to be transformed, 
how to live into the resurrecting life of Jesus Christ and depend upon him like breath for air or like air for breath. Look at Proverbs chapter four, verse 18 here for a second. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. It reminds me and encourages me that being transformed by Christ takes time. It doesn't happen in an instant. It's like the rising of the sun. In the beginning at dawn, it doesn't seem very bright. It doesn't seem very clear. You can't quite know if you're going in the right direction. You're wondering if as I walk along this path of transformation towards Christ and I experience the sufferings of it, is this really the right way? Is this really going to work? Does it really get better? But as you keep walking, as the sun rises, things become clearer and clearer. The further you are along on the path, the sun is higher and you can finally see the pitfalls, pitfalls that you avoided by staying on the path of righteousness. And the sun is now showing you the beauty of the life around you and the life ahead. And you gain through that process a crown of glory. Look at Proverbs 16.31, the proverb right below it printed for you. How is this gray hair, this crown of glory that the Proverbs is talking about, how is it gained? By a righteous life. By walking down the path of righteousness. Or as I've been saying, by going down the path of transformation into Christ. So that your life is increasingly characterized by the weighty, glorious things that actually matter that actually are eternal, that participate in the very character of God, that are part of the unseen world, the character that can stand in God's very presence without wilting. And that, on that path, towards that transformation, is each and every Christian's holy responsibility to take that path of righteousness, to take the transformation into the character of Christ seriously, to pursue it, to also desire it, to walk into it, and to do that effectively. What Proverbs is going to teach us and is teaching us is that we need to do that together. We must do it with each other, that we have a holy responsibility to each other on this path of transformation. Look around for a moment at the congregation around you. Look at the person to your left and right, behind you even, turn around and see. You know, on staff, we often praise God that this congregation has many different generations represented in the pews. Let me say this. You cannot be against each other. We need each other. You need each other. If you're walking and you have walked down the path towards Christ for a long way, what Proverbs is telling us is that you have a holy responsibility to be the person now in the book of Proverbs who is saying, who is the father and the mother giving instruction you need to be the one in verses 11 and verse 12 here to say, this is the way, this is the path, this is how to walk. Our younger men and younger women need to know where Jesus has taken you. They need to know that what you have suffered, that God has brought you through that. So when they are experiencing their own suffering, they know that God is still there and present and faithful and will bring them through. They need to be able to see down the path where you are so that they can know what truly matters in their own life. They need to know that what often feels like dying in the Christian life is actually the pattern of following Jesus in this life. To be encouraged that Christ is with you and that he is good and that he is faithful and that he's the Lord of the resurrection. He will bring you through and put you back together. And if you are younger, you also have a holy responsibility all throughout the book of Proverbs, and certainly here again and again and again, you have a holy responsibility to hear 
to be attentive in verse one, to be led, to not despise the voice of the past, but to be led by those who are further down the path as you pursue the glory of a life well lived. Both these things must go together and work together. Look at Proverbs 20, 29 again. It parallels the strength and health of the young with the wisdom of the age, saying these are complementary to each other. The young support the old with their strength, and the old direct the strength of the youth with their wisdom. Together they must support each other and help each other as you walk down the path of transformation together. Now I wonder, perhaps, if you are older, that you are wondering and asking yourself, do I really have something to share with those who are younger than me? Because, of course, we all know that simply being older doesn't mean you have walked the path of righteousness. And, of course, just because you have lived a life doesn't mean that you have wisdom. You might not have any wisdom, and that is certainly true. But what's one of the reasons why I printed this Joel passage here for you in the italics? You know, in the book of Joel, God brings a severe judgment on the nation of Israel because of its idolatry, because of its running from God. And the experience of that was a severe famine that came onto the land through a swarm of locusts that came and ate up the harvest and essentially ate up the life of the people around them because of that. They experience the consequences of their running from God, but then God gives them this promise. The years that you have lost to the locust, I will restore. He says, in other words, do not think that I cannot take the evil in your life that you have done and has been done to you and not transform it to good because that is what God does. That is what the cross magnificently proclaims. So if you find yourself in the later stages of life and you look back and you see the devastation in in your life caused by the locusts in your life, the consequences of your rebellious or evil and sinful decisions and actions, God would say to you, I am not done with you yet. I can, I will restore those years to you. In the spirit of God, this is verse 28 of Jewel. God says, I will make you dream dreams again to long for the future. Dreams don't normally belong to an old man. They belong to a young man. I've got dreams for the future. The old of you that are accomplished, their dreams are given up on them because they assume they cannot get to them anymore. But God says, I will give those years back to you. I will give you your dreams again. I will give you your future let me tell you about Karen. She was Aaron's Bible study leader in college. And she had lived a life that the locusts had eaten up, a life full of alcohol and drugs and lots of sexual abuse and confusion and sexual sin. And and then she was Aaron's Bible study leader. She was now sober. She was single. She was living with her parents. And she was 60, doing a Bible study for a bunch of 20 and 19-year-olds. You see what God was doing in Karen's life as he was restoring the years to her. And this woman had an incredible impact upon Aaron's young faith. Aaron had become a Christian as a senior in high school. And of course, Karen was able to say to Aaron at a young life, don't walk down these paths of unrighteousness that I walk down. They will hurt you. They will hamper you. You are stumbled. You will stumble if you go this direction, as the Proverbs say, chapter four, verse 12. But she was able to say and show Aaron something far more important than that. She showed Aaron what grace is actually like and what God's grace feels like. Forgiveness, love, joy, 
peace in the woman's life. It was very unpeaceful and faithfulness. Karen was able to show my wife the unseen things of the world that could actually and do bear the weight of God's glory because they participate in what God's very character is. And she was able to encourage Aaron to walk in that path and pursue them. God was restoring the lost years to Karen, still transforming her, but through her also transforming and encouraging Aaron. So whatever age you are, because age, of course, is relative, you can be a Karen. You can be an Aaron. We need each other to walk along together on the paths of transformation. So let me be very direct. If you are older, find someone 10 to 30 years younger than you. Befriend them in this congregation. Meet with them once a month. Pray with them. Encourage them. Share your life and your suffering and your pain with them. Share the ways that Christ has worked in your life with them and encourage them to walk down the path of transformation. And if you are younger, do not be sheepish sitting over on the corner of the ballroom waiting for someone to come ask you to dance. Go find an older man or an older woman and say, help me follow Jesus in whatever way you can. Teach me. I want to live a life so that when I find death just around the corner, I can greet it not as something I've never met before, but as something I'm used to meeting and doing, following Jesus into life. Following Jesus, rather, into life through death and finding that on the other side of death in Christ there is and always will be swallowed up into life in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would make us men and women of true transformation into the character of your son, Jesus Christ. That we would see in our own lives The outer life perhaps wasting away, but the inner life being renewed day by day by your spirit and by one another so that we may see our souls gaining the weight of glory to stand in your presence, see you face to face, to rejoice that we are no longer clothed with what burdens us (laughs) and what is uneternal, but what is swallowed up by life, what is eternal, your very presence. So enable us to walk together in this path of transformation. In Christ's name, amen.